Tech Sounds presents EduTrends. Well, I'm with Martin Paul, uh, who is the president of Maastricht University, and he is here for uh, to deliver a conference, uh, um, a talk in our international conference of educational innovation. Thanks for being here. Thank you for inviting me. And uh, as I was telling you before we start this talk, uh, we are uh, have followed your university on the last uh, 20 years. We uh, have uh, admired what you have doing in uh, the problem-based uh, teaching method. And uh, what are the new advancements of your university on this? Well, first of all, uh, as you know, we are a very young university. We started, uh, we were founded only in 1990. 76, and this is a university that was founded on the principle of problem-based learning in these days. So all courses were done uh, in this uh, principle, and uh, we have developed and grown over the years uh, in size, although we are much smaller than Mon Techno Monterey. We have now 18,000 students. Um, but we also have developed our learning model further. And, uh, you know, problem-based learning today sometimes sounds a bit old-fashioned or a bit like a religion. And we have really uh, tried to develop the concept further, like many others like you have, to, to order challenge-based uh, global citizenship education, uh, skills as an important element, and of course also... Uh, different technologies of learning and different techniques because I think today it's not either or a classical curriculum, problem-based learning, uh, a MOOC-based curriculum. I think we need to, to approach education in a very holistic way that is student-centered. And uh, uh, when you're talking about uh, independent learning, uh, why is it important to become independent? Well, I think because, you know, after the four years of university, we are not there anymore to help the students. So I think from, from day one, we need to uh, really empower the students to be independent learners because they need to learn later on in their life also uh, to keep this on. And uh, I always say we get these people, they're 17, 18, 19 years old. They come from, from school where they just spent 12, 13 years in a bench and somebody was talking in front. These people are very smart. They're stimulated. They're intelligent. Now, give them the chance to develop as persons, as personalities. Yes. And um, what about the skills, um, uh, non-disciplinary skills uh, besides those? Uh, yes. From day one, when they start our academic programs, they, they, uh, they'll get a whole package of uh, skills, debate, uh, data mining. Uh, uh, also uh, social skills, you know, uh, uh, taking responsibility. For example, we have a program for students that they can uh, be active in society and do services for our surroundings. For example, our students have been very active in developing programs for refugees. So it's more uh, uh, academia is, of course, a core, but also the skills, how you apply them to real life. 21st century skills is kind of a buzzword, but basically how we, at the end of our study, uh, students should learn and, and, and be independent, but they also should be active citizens. And that's, that's why we try to help them to do. Yes. I, I believe that um, universities should be focusing more on uh, what we call in Spanish humanities. So I think it's like liberal arts in English. And um, on the following years, I believe that a curriculum should have a larger uh, chunk of uh, liberal arts, even in uh, 
all fields that are not liberal art rail, like engineering or medicine. Exactly. I think uh, we have done this a few years ago. We created a, a, a liberal arts and science college where students, with the tutors, can uh, put together their own curriculum. Because another thing is when, when a student is today coming to university, he or she doesn't know probably, I want to be a lawyer, I want to be an engineer, and so on. So we give them the choice also to develop hybrid programs. A student may come in, I'm, I'm interested in philosophy and in computer science. So they can combine these courses. And in this liberal arts and science program, there are some core courses that everybody has to take, such as the history, world history, philosophy of science, ethics, and whenever you want to become an engineer or a biologist or a business person, you have to take these courses. And this is the trend that we see that we also, in other programs, will have this more, uh, I, I call it holistic integration of different areas and things that are important as a citizen in, active in society. Exactly. Switch, switching uh, gears, uh, what makes a younger university different from a older university? Well, you know, I, I used to work at a very old university. Ah, okay, so you can tell uh, us the difference. So I can the difference. I used to work at, at, in the Charité in Berlin, which is more than 300 years old. And if you are in an in a, uh, administrative or management position, you, you probably can change course if you push very hard on the wheel, a bit to the left or a bit to the right. And the young university, it's still growing, has still uh, ideas. So for us, it is, it, is, it is, in my view, easier to, to really develop new things. One of the things we developed is, is, as we know, that engineering and the hard sciences are extremely male-dominated. A, a large percentage of students are, are male. We started with a, a, a kind of liberal arts-oriented science program where we give also the students flexibility. They say, I want to do something with sciences, but I don't know whether I want to be material engineering or a mathematician or a computer scientist. And this kind of flexible approach to guide students to a discipline also led that we have 50% females in this program. This is something that we can do much easier than in, in a kind of old-fashioned, crusted university because as a young university still, all the staff that comes to us comes to us not because Maastricht is a beautiful city, which is true, but because they, they are intrigued by our educational philosophy. And that is different, I would say, in institutions that are more established than older in Europe. And when you're uh, taking these young students and uh, you have to uh, give them those experiences so that they choose uh, what they want to major in, uh, What's the strategy to use to guide them in that process? Well, the strategy is caused that in, in I would say in the in the first year, I would three for all. But then after year two and three, you have to find your major. You have to find your, your way. So so it, it, it's it's starting very broad. And then, of course, with, with tutoring and mentoring, we help them finding their mission and their way. So it's not at the end of the, of, of the bachelor program, they are generalists. They are in a certain sense because they had broad access, but they, they, will, they will determine uh, there are basically three trunks. One is more uh, uh, life science medicine. The other one is social sciences, business law, and the third one is humanities. So this is at the end of the, I would say, liberal arts and science program, they will develop a flavor. And we help them. What we also do, we have a database that is accessible to students that they can, when they start with a certain program and want to do certain courses, they can look whether alumni of this college, where they are now with the same course program, and they can contact them. 
So, so I have this crazy combination and there's somebody who has the same and where is he or she now? So it also helps them to guide by peer learning from people who have done the same course. And that's very important because uh, students are on the same level and they can, yeah. they can tell uh, better what to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I think it's very important also to not only to have a bilateral interaction between uh, uh, educators and students, but also by the students as a community. So you're the chair of uh, Young Universities for the Future of Europe. Yes, that's true. That's a, a, a project that started with the idea of Emmanuel Macron, which said we, had, we have developed new ideas, about, new ideas about the European universities of the future. And uh, this is something that we took on as Maastricht with our European city. We said we need to really rethink the European university. And the university is a European invention, if you say like that. And everybody talks about... Uh, the ideas of Willem von Humboldt. I used to work at the Humboldt University in Berlin. And he has, of course, had fantastic contributions. But I think one of one of, he also was developing these ideas in a very centralistic uh, state uh, with very elitist ideas. You know, his idea of, of, of the university was a university only for the elite. I think today, where a lot more students go into university, we have to re rethink this concept. So we were triggered by this call. And we said, let's put a group of young universities, one of those universities that, like we are, more flexible to brainstorm and ideas. And we came up with this idea that higher education today needs to be accessible. It needs to be inclusive. And we, we, we coined the sentence, we want to be excellent, but not elitist. And that doesn't mean that everybody should go to university. No, I mean, there's also a place for, for schools of applied science and vocational training. But everybody who should get access to university should have that possibility based on his or her talent, not on uh, the wealth of their parents or uh, uh, the old boys or, or girls network that, that is available. So this was our idea. We are the new kids on the block. We are all universities that are under 50 years. And we throw out this idea to, to, to uh, create, as a, in a pilot, an open space where students can really follow in courses wherever they are, and we want to do this in an integrative way. So this was our idea. And we were, there were like uh, 54 applications submitted for university alliances between five and eight universities. And we got the highest score of all. We got 97 out of 100 points. I never got such a high score in a grant because we really triggered something in Europe that we say, let, let's rethink education from the educational spirit, from the quality, and from many things I talked of the, uh, the ideas that we have in, Maast in Maastricht that in, uh, next to education, we also need to pr provide active citizens for society. So that's what we're doing with this network or alliance. So how does it, this open um, course space uh, work? Well, as you know, in Europe, uh, uh, the, there is a Bologna process and there are credit systems, but it's extremely complicated. You always need to negotiate, join double degrees. It, it's very bureaucratic. So we uh, um, uh, you know, designed that we want to have some courses that you can begin your course in Rome, do the next block in Madrid, and then follow your blog in Cyprus. And of course, you can do it across the university. It's a pilot program. But, you know, we, we designed some, some themes. One is, 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 of course, Europe, the future of Europe, everything that courses about Europe, the digital society. These are courses that are present in all these universities, sustainability, 
and uh, also citizen science. So, so, so we, we designed some topics in the beginning to see how this open course can work. And then we will evaluate it after three years. So it's a pilot, and the idea is if a positive evaluation, then a number of university alliances can get also what, what we call a European statute, that you're not only a national university, but also have a European label. And uh, uh, so uh, this network is only for uh, European universities? Yes, this idea is for Euro European universities, but, but we said, of course, our, uh, our idea is to also reach out to global partners because this, the issues we are dealing with here are uh, also present in other, in other continents and other countries. So, for example, one of our partners, Chiron, is an organization that uses... Um, Uh, what we call the virtual campus that we develop in, in UFA, where we, one of the biggest issues in Europe is currently the migration crisis. People from Africa are coming, or from Arab countries coming in, and we need to integrate them. We also want to integrate them through education. So our, our approach here is that we, we have a special program for these refugees that can use long-distance learning technology to, to study for certain areas, and then we'll integrate them also in our programs. And with this also, we want to develop something, uh, integration to education, but not only brain drain, but brain circulation. So the next step is that we want to have this, that we're looking for like-minded spirit also in other continents. Interesting. But I think first, Europe has to get its act together. Uh, we first have to, to, to rethink European education and then uh, in this process make it also accessible for others. In the context of the um, war right now where uh, you see some uh, postures that are more uh, nationalistic, like uh, let's take, for example, Brexit as an example. Yes, But uh, uh, there are many examples in different countries uh, in the world. In, in Europe, uh, uh, as the dream of a block of people uh, living together and sharing a lot of things, what, what, you, what do you think are the skills of citizens for the future? How the citizen of the future should be? I think, number one, uh, you have to have some, some sort of cultural understanding and, and, and understanding that people are different, have different backgrounds, different needs. And in our international classroom that we employ in Maastricht and our youth network, We try to, to create that atmosphere. Uh, number two, uh, we need to, to, to get rid of, of the idea of inequality, which is very difficult in the long-term process. But if, if we give our students the tools, for example, this global citizenship uh, education, where we train them in, in, in certain, not only knowledge about these facts, uh, but also about, again, the skills that you need to address this, then you have probably make a good contribution. A lot of our graduates work in NGOs and are active also in the next to their studies in, in this area. So it's a long-term process. But in the end, I think the solution to populism and nationalism is knowledge. It is uh, providing education, provide getting smart people, getting a, a, a generation back that is not depending on tweets mm -hmm. as a knowledge base. Yes, uh, so it's a long-term project, but but mm -hmm. uh, we call this, you know, the the Maastricht generation. Not that are not students from Maastricht. These are students who are born after 1992. They have never seen Europe without borders. Mm 
To them, Europe means something else to, than to the people, the 50-plusers who, who voted for Brexit largely. Mm -hmm. So we need to build up this new knowledge base, and we need to do it bottom-up. And we need to have, uh, of course, it's a long-term perspective. You can't resolve this tomorrow, but you have to, to uh, um, put something an alternative on the ground to uh, an alternative for nationalism and populism based on knowledge and based on understanding and based on uh, cultural skills. Yes, I, I, I completely agree with you. Um, it's a rather paradoxical that um, this uh, younger generation that were born um, um, uh, With technology, uh, because technology is not new for them. Most uh, most yeah. of them, the technology was there when they are, uh, were born. Uh, uh, they get tricked by the algorithms of uh, uh, Facebook, Twitter, artificial intelligence, and uh, and they uh, uh, fail for this uh, clickbait uh, uh, sort of fake news or uh, change uh, completely. Uh, trying to make people change their minds and uh, get them into a, a different position or political position. Yeah. But you know, the, the, the key to that is that, that uh, you, you can become immune against that if you, if you develop your own knowledge, if you develop your own uh, value system, that you're not, not, not getting fed by influences, that's, uh, uh, also political influences, but, but also you develop your own thing, you, you, you develop your, uh, as an individual To, to, be, uh, uh, to, to, to be able to value these things based on knowledge. I'm not saying it's perfect, but I, I, I strongly believe that, that a broad education of a high quality is a solution to a lot of problems. If you look at African countries, access to education is the most important factor to, for economic wealth and also to uh, uh, fight against inequality. And I would say the old post Second World War, European, Western European system of solidarity, social democracy. This is a value that needs to be protected because it, it, it you know, after 1945, Europe was or has been a, a bastion of, of, of liberal value, solidarity. And we try, there's a danger that we're losing this. So that's why we, we put the university or the knowledge institution as a central player in this context. And that's why we also need new ways of education, of teaching. I mean, we need to move away from the classical master-apprentice system, for example. I mean, this, this is an old system that, that, that we need to get rid of. That's how it starts. Some people think that um, uh, to try to um, do something with the value system uh, in uh, education, particularly universities, it's too late. Yes, of course. Uh, uh, It depends. Depends what you say, but but uh, it's not it's not worth not trying. I think we need, and this is this is also why people say that because universities have been much too long refused to take their social responsibility. Uh, there used to be institutions of higher education. They used to be part, or they still are part of the elite. But the elite is not going to resolve it in our large societal revamping. So we need to move from that corner based back to the center. If it's too late, well, future will tell. It's certainly a critical situation. And even in Europe, you know, the, the story of the Central European University, which move, have to move from Hungary to Austria because they got too many restrictions in free speech and other issues, is a warning sign. Uh, 
But again, I, as I always say, uh, uh, it's, uh, as European institutions, we need to get together and we cannot solve it ourselves. That's why we do these alliances. We couldn't prevent Brexit, but we also have a UK partner in our um, uh, program because we say, uh, uh, well, there's so many times the UK or England moved out of Europe or tried to move out of Europe, but higher education, education, our cultural heritage is going to remain the same, whatever is uh, the political th politician think. But what is the role that you think that um, programs like Erasmus play in this uh more global citizenship view of the world and... Well, the, the, this idea, the European University idea, is an Erasmus program. It's actually the, the attempt to, to uh, revamp Erasmus to be a, a positive factor in this development. And what's quite interesting right now, the, the European Commission now also dedicates additional funds, research funds, also to these alliances. So it seems that this, this, this European University Alliance idea is also a an entry into a new Erasmus phase. And what I hear from uh, the new European Commission that education is one of their number one. Sustainability and education are two of their main priorities. Yeah, do you think that it's feasible to do a program of that sort in other parts of the world, like in Latin America, for instance? Well, I would say so, but it has to be a Latin American program. So, so our idea is that we like to go in a dialogue with, with uh, institutions in other continents, because also learning from European uh, history, it, it, shouldn't, it, it shouldn't be a post-colonial thing, you know, that, that we bring the knowledge to the world or something like that. But, you know, it's very important if you, if you, uh, if you go into a dialogue with uh, uh, universities in Latin America, in Africa, that you also apply the uh, principle of, of cultural understanding and intercultural value systems in the dialogue. You know, what can we also learn from there? You know, big uh, discussion we have on in our Worldwide University Network, where I'm also part of, is how we can decolonize the curriculum, you know, in, in, in particularly in our African uh, and uh, uh, Asian partners. So I think... As I said, this, I see this initiative, first of all, to, 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 to get our system a new start. And then, of course, it would be extremely interesting to have dialogue also with, with partners in other continents. And that could be, could be the topic of another conference or workshop to, to reach out and find out what is, what is triggering your, why is your system not functioning and what can you do. And then we can share ideas. But it should must be a partnership of equals. Yes, I I, I like a lot this idea of uh, uh, treating us as equal partners, uh, but I am intrigued by the uh, this colonization of the curriculum. Can you talk a little bit more of the colonizing the curriculum? Well, you know, if if you if you if you look at the uh, the uh, curriculum, particularly in African universities, it's pretty much influenced by by European thinkers, and I'm, 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 I would agree that Kant is probably a global uh, has a global value. But also one has to look more uh, uh, intensively at the, at, the, at the, I would say, societal, ethical, historical value of, of, a, of a national system and, and learn more about that and study more about that. Because, you know, um, Kant and Hobbes and uh, everybody has brought in by the people who colonized these countries. So they're linked to that. And so we need to have, have cultural sensitivity there. And again, also... Um, 
Uh, if you say, you know, global citizenship is important, but global citizenship has its origin in a national, continental history or culture. So this needs to be integrated in, in one way or another. So proud of your culture, but also uh, as a global citizen. Open to the world. Open to the world. I mean, that's, that's the principle of, of, of our international classroom, that when we, like you do, have challenge-based uh, courses and challenge-based problems, uh, a, a student from South America or Latin America or from Asia or Europe will probably approach this problem in a very different way because of his or her cultural, historical understanding. And that's also a, a, what I mean with decolonizing. It's, it's not one size fits all. You know, we, we have cultural experiences that are extremely helpful not only to me but also to my co-students to learn from. So, so it's not, not banning Hegel and Kant it's just kind of making it more integrative. Just um, uh, one final, final question for you, Martin. Um, if we look into the future in 10 years, what do you think universities will be like or what do you wish universities to be like in 10 years? Well, it's very hard to predict the future, as you know, but I think that, that higher education will, be, uh, will have a lot more variety both for the universities, but also for the students. You know, we move away. I mean, we're still living in a, in a, in a, in a system that is campus-based, where students go to universities. It's one-to-one it's, it's -one contact. I think given the fact of technological uh, innovations of students that are extremely skilled in, in, in techniques that their teachers are not, and the uh, possibility to, uh, you know, more choose your own and modify your own course. I think we will, we will have a more holistic way of approaching this. It will be a lot more variety, a lot more, it will be a mix of technology and classical campus-based orientation. And it probably will also something that, that educational modules will not be uh, put into a four-year or three-year context, but will also probably be spread more uh, towards the life. What's the value of a degree? So I think universities... And I think you need to adapt to this and need to be a, a develop into academic communities where all these different aspects can flourish. So it, it will be a, a much more complexer task to uh, organize university than now. It's still a, a one-size kind of system, so we, need, we will have more variety. More different kinds of universities. More different kinds of universities. And the university in itself will offer different things. You know, one thing we be looking now very intensively in the Netherlands is lifelong learning. How are we organizing that? How we bring people in their 30s, 40s, and 50s back to universities or do courses to modify. We're working together with a, with a large uh, pension fund provider who says, you know, I, I have a lot of people who are not, not skilled for the, the digital revolution. How are we doing this? So what, that's also a task we have. So I think there will also be new, I call it markets or tasks for university. That, so so it's, it's going to be a lot more variety, not between universities, but also within the university itself. And it's to, a, 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 I would say, a, a knowledge broker in the broadest sense. And universities that are not able to, to be adaptive, they probably will have a problem there. So uh, continuing education has always been part of universities and now this concept has been evolving to something that is more integral or holistic, yeah. lifelong learning. Do you think that 
universities will be taking more seriously that task because I always have believed that continuing education is like a second uh, uh, second task uh, for I, universities, I, if I, not third. Well, what we what we what they have to do, they probably have also to collaborate with other providers, with University of Applied Sciences, community colleges. In our region, we have developed a program which is called Educational Agenda, where we work to together with, with all education providers and say, what's our individual role in this process? So you, I don't think universities should take over lifelong learning, but they may have a role in some aspects of lifelong learning. So, so you need to have, an, I would say, an educational offering where everybody takes his part, and this needs to be coordinated. And we do this in a bottom-up way in our, in our relatively small region, as an experiment, how we can, what we call vertical learning, where we uh, uh, also try to, to, to find talent pathways from people moving up the ladder and, and find the right space. So I think it's a common task of universities and other institutions of higher education. So it's finding its place on that, that lifelong yes. learning. Yes, exactly. But Ver we cannot say we, we ignore it completely. We also have to take a responsibility there. Very interesting. Well, I, I want to thank you, uh, Martin, for your, thank you. Uh, your time and for being here in Monterey. Thank you. I think we should uh, continue the conversation. <laughs> sure, we do. <laughs> for more information, visit observatory.tech.mx/edutrendspodcast. Thanks to Tecnológico de Monterrey and the Tech Sounds team. Tech Sounds producer Miguel Mejia. Edutrends producer Esteban Venegas and Christian Gijosa. Post-production Max Perez. Stay tuned for the next episode of Edutrends and visit Tech Sounds in your favorite podcast app for other great shows and content. <laughs>